to do their jobs in the most effective way that they can. So they don't have to worry about, they shouldn't worry about um, how a system is designed or they shouldn't be like, I need this new field because it's going to make my job easier. We have to think about that. That's our job. That's our job to look at the entire spectrum and say, all right, yeah. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Seaman. Joining Brad on today's episode of Decision Point is Asia Corbett. Asia is the head of revenue and community operations at RevGenius. Well, let's just get let's get started. Tell me a little bit about you know how'd you get to where you're you're at? How'd yeah. you get connected with RevGenius? What's your story? Yeah, so it's funny that you mentioned adversity because in the last, I mean, pandemic aside, like. It just oh my gosh I I had a lot of SHIT that I've, I've gone through in the last year and a half or two so kind of just going all the way back to the beginning I studied economics and statistics in college and I fully intended on being like a CFO that was my I was convinced that was my path and uh, so I kind of started out in some semi-finance roles and I say semi-finance because there was always an operational component to it like how do I t- do things in a repeatable sort of uh, manageable way? Like if people are emailing me all the time, asking me things, how can I streamline that a little bit? And so each move kind of went away from like journal entries and budget reconciliations and doing like the department meetings and making sure that departments are spending what they uh, have budgeted for, like the budget versus actuals. Managing the corporate card expenses, that was not fun. I was like, I don't want to be in accounting. This is boring. And so I, like, my role started getting more operational. And then I got into tech and I was still in sort of like these revenue or business operations, these overall company operations roles. And now, like, revenue operations is this buzzword, it's like this trendy thing but it has existed for a long time and has been part of like what would be your business operations team. So I, let's see, let me, let me go back to 2020. I left a company that I'd been at for about two years because it was, my growth was stagnant, stagnating. And I was like, okay, maybe I want to go back into the more analytical side of things. So I went to work for a very big tech company as a business analyst for the go-to-market organization. I was like, I still get to work with all these people, but maybe I want to do more data analysis. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do this, actually. What ended up happening is, well, first there was the pandemic. My team that I was on dissolved, like they got rid of the the business planning department. They put me on the finance team because they put that team. They're like, okay, we'll just move you into. Is everybody in a panic mode at this point? Not like yet. Yeah. Oh, let's see. So I had just started. I just started this company. I left the other one to go to uh, this large company to do business planning and analysis, which is analytical, but very different from like the finance analytics, or so I thought. And um, so literally like a month in, they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, the business planning department is no more. And I was like, oh, 
cool. So the person who hired me, I'm going to be reporting to somebody else, the VP of finance. I was pregnant at this time. And then let's see, we, sh- we went into lockdown shortly after that, I think. Then they decided to eliminate my role on the finance team. So I got laid off a week before I gave birth, before I was supposed to go on maternity leave. So then I'm trying to figure out, uh, well, first I'm trying to like focus on that. Like, okay, I have to go do that first. And then afterwards I'm like, well, I, I always knew that I wanted to work. Like I'm kind of, I like working. I enjoy working and I, I wanted to go back into work. And so just trying to figure out, okay, well now I have to find a job. Like there's a lot of people looking for jobs. What do I want to do? I want to go back into operations. And so to a small tech company to build out the sales operation side of things. And what happened is what kind of happens in small organizations with small teams is they're like, well, yeah, can you do also the marketing operations? And can you also do, oh, well, yeah, what about customer success? So that and that becomes revenue operations where you're not just focused on one segment of your go-to-market teams. You're focused on all of the revenue generating teams. That's the whole revenue uh, engine. So, so I was there for a little while. I enjoyed my time there mostly, but what I found in like sort of, I guess at this point in my career, because I've been working for a long time now, culture is really important. Like organizational culture is really important. And it doesn't matter what like role you're doing or or what company you work for, if the culture is not transparent and open and supportive and respectful, then you're not in a good you're not in a good place. And that was something that was very top of mind for me as I was thinking about the next place to go to. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm sort of, and and so I, to go on about the culture thing, I'm thinking, I'm talking about culture from an organizational perspective, like across the company, and then culture around what operations means to an organization. Because frequently, especially in the revenue operations community and the sales operations community, the marketing operations community, operations is seen as like, we're just the tech stack people, or we're just the system admins, or like, just build me a report or pull this data. And really, operations is a lot more than that. It's the processes, it's defining processes, it's mapping processes, it's helping improve processes, it's laying then the systems and the tools on top of that, so that when you pick your tech stack, or as you configure your tech stack or make changes, the tools that you're using support the business processes and not the other way around, because that's what happens very frequently is people get the tools because they're like, ooh, that's a cool tool. I want outreach. Yeah, it's great. But there's no there's no process. There's no defined way of how to use it. So then people go in there and it's the wild, wild west. And then you integrate these tools with other systems and other systems other teams use. And so there's a lot of upstream and downstream impacts that uh, people don't realize. And that's part of our, our job as operations people is to be a steward of that as well. And so culturally, if the team, if the leadership team and your company is not bought into that, you're going to have a hard time as an operations person and you're going to leave, which is, you know, that that's what happens. So people are kind of getting, are, are 
I've noticed that there's a little more, not interest, but maybe there's a shift, a culture shift that's happening. And it's slow and culture is slow to change, but it's there. Um, and so I was part of Rev Genius as a, as a member, as a part of the community as a member. Jared reached out to me. He's like, hey, do you want to join the community? And I was like, sure. I was part of, I still am part of a couple of other operations focused communities like Wizard of Ops. So a lot of people know that one. RevOps Co-op, which is managed by Funnel IQ, the company Funnel IQ. And those are like smaller groups of mostly revenue operations and sales operations uh, professionals. Whereas RevGenius is a community that's open to all revenue professionals. So sales, marketing, customer success, and then us as well. And, and there are some other small segments, like there may be some people, operations people are in there, but largely it's, it's the revenue folks. So Jared reached out to me and he said, do you want to join the community? I said, yeah, why not? And, you know, I started engaging in there, asking questions and meeting people and really, and people who would ask questions too. And I'd, I'd be like, hey, I actually, I experienced that. I could walk you through what I did. Or, hey, I have an example that you might, you might find useful. Or do you have an example for me? Or do you have some advice for me? So I started leaning in there more. He asked me, would you be willing to write for the mag, the Rev Genius mag? I said, sure, why not? I can write about RevOps stuff. I, it's something I like doing. And then we kind of started talking a little, he shared with me his vision and kind of what he saw for the future of community and how that plugs into learning and how that plugs into the, in, the tech industry in general. And I was like, yeah, that's great. You know, and he told me what the mission of, of Rev Genius is, is to educate and empower, inspire, educate, empower, and inspire revenue professionals. And I was like, wow, those are my core values as a person. I love helping people like like when you watch someone realize something, you know, like you see their face light up and you're like, oh, I got it. Like that's to me, if I have helped that, then I might like I could die happy. So I was like, you know, what did you have in mind for you know the operations person that you wanted to bring onto the team? Because we were talking about that too, starting about org structure. He's like, do you know anyone in operations who's young or in their career or like new in their career with like a couple of years of experience who's like like you but entry level and I was like no <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't say no but to be honest people do not graduate college and go you into operations roles no and if they go into operations they're in supply chain they're in the in like shipping industries right the, so Oh, and I have a lot of thoughts about that and how how that those principles can be brought to the tech world, but that's a another that's an aside. So Jared, we were talking about this. He's like, "Do you know anyone?" I said, mm, "I could check my network, but I don't think so." Uh, and it, it was at this time I was kind of figuring out what my next move was going to be and which company I wanted to like what how to figure out if the or the values and the culture matched like what the people say and their job descriptions. You know, they're like, we have a great culture. Yeah, sure. What does that mean? And when Jared was talking about the vision and talking about the mission and all of this stuff, and from what I'd experienced in the community, just the people, what Jared was able to build is because he believes in that mission. He built the community organically, like by going out and and talking to people and asking them to join the community. 
so I was like, man, that's really, that's amazing. I don't know anyone, Jared, who's like entry level, but if you want, I could help (laughs) 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 because, because this is important to me, this, this mission that you're on here, he said, why not? And I started two days later. And yeah, and it's been a really fun and it's been a, a, a wild ride in the last five or six months as start, most startups usually go. And I was brought on to be the head of revenue and community operations. And we've kind of joked that really it's it's all of operations because there are a lot of operational logistical things that happen in a company that don't fall into either one of those categories like HR and payroll and things like that. So yeah, I joined to help, number one, empower people and inspire people and help teach people and learn from people, but also to help Jared scale. Awesome. Well, so so one of the things you highlighted, I actually, you know, you said, let's do this another time, but I I actually like to hear what you do. I'd love to hear about your thoughts on the supply chain and the operations, because I think the one the one big challenge and I a lot of companies have, and I think particularly as you're growing, you know, whether you consider yourself a small business or a startup, you're using Salesforce, you're using all these tools, and you're trying to get all these metrics so you can make intelligent decisions, and nothing really wires up the way that it's su- supposed to. And um, things that should be really simple, like, you know, as an executive, I want to see, as a CEO, I want to see how many leads, how many appointments, how many... Uh, the, but they just there's not tools that just that seems so inherently easy, right? You get your Salesforce guy involved, and he's like, "Well, you know, it's not it's not really it's not really like that because you guys did this and you did that, and that stops this. We got cross object reporting, and on and on and on." So I think the revenue ops, particularly we measure and measure more things, it's become more and more of a of a deed. So I'd love to hear I'd love to hear that. I'd also like to hear just for my own reference. What's the typical path to CFO? Because as you were talking about your story, I just didn't know. I don't. I don't know enough about the CFO role to know. Like, how's a CFO typically enter an organization, and what's their background? Is it? Yeah, yeah. I can talk to to all of that. So, I'll start with that first because that's a smaller part, and I don't. I'm not as passionate about it to be honest. Yeah, no, I just. I personally, uh, <laughs> no, no, totally. So, Huberman. okay, to give you an idea of the kind of person that I am. I had a 12-year plan written out, written out on paper. I actually found it the other day, and I was looking at it. I'm like, hmm, I'm about eight years into this plan, and it is not where I thought I would be. But I had written it out as if I were going to be on this CFO track. And the research that I did and, and some of the connections that I made, typically CFOs have heavy accounting backgrounds. I did not have a heavy accounting background. I mean, I studied economics and took one accounting class, accounting 101 or whatever, the very first one. And I hated it, to be honest. I'm like, this is not, I I like data. I like analyzing things. I like math. I do not like accounting. I don't really even like finance, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm glad that people like it. I'm so glad there are people who enjoy that in the world. That is so great. It's not my passion. Uh, so, so what I was trying to do when I when I graduated. So actually, my senior year of college, I was it my senior year? Maybe the summer going into senior year, I got this internship with a company called Bosch. Bosch makes a lot of different things. 
refrigerators, dishwashers, power tools. Are you familiar? Did they make contacts, contacts illusion? Oh, that's a different bot. That's oh, gosh. different bot. That's okay. a different, that, that, they I'm feeling real uncomfortable too. thinking about that I have the guys making the power tools, making my contacts. <laughs> like, You're like, huh, what's We get some like metal grit in my eye. Right. No, no, no. Bosch, um, they make, yeah, B-O-S-C-H. They make power tools. They make home appliances. They make car parts. I think their very first, like the first invention by Robert Bosch was the spark plug. And so I don't even know how I remember this, but you know, in onboarding, they tell you the history of the company and their logo. If you look at it, it's this little gray thing and it's supposed to be a spark plug. And the writing is red. You be like, if you go to Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever, you'll see Bosch power tools. So I, I started that internship and I reported directly to the controller of the research arm of Bosch in Palo Alto in California. So they had an entire Silicon Valley. They had an entire vertical, I mean, not a revenue, totally entirely a cost center. So no revenue coming out of this part of their business. It's purely research. And they had a controller because the controller accounting person needed to manage costs. Uh, So that's what I did. I, I went and I reported to him and I did a lot of budgeting and actuals reporting. So cheering up when, when the department leaders come together and say, all right, here's the budget for the, for the quarter. Here's your budget for the year. Now go plan. And then you revisit with them every month and do a reconciliation and say, here's what you actually spent. Here is your target. Okay. And then as you're getting ready to the next year, uh, through the end of the year, What's the planning for the next year? And very, 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 very structured and organized because German companies are very, very structured and organized. And, and they also are a mature company, been around for a long time. So I'm doing a lot of accounting stuff. That's accounting. Journal entries are <laughs> I was doing. Pulling reports out of SAP, the tool, which if you've ever used SAP, you would never complain about using Salesforce again. SAP is a behemoth of a tool and it's uh, I don't like it either I don't prefer it so then I'm like okay great so that's the accounting side I'm starting to get familiar with accounting things even though I haven't studied accounting you know I'm learning about a balance sheet and a cash flow statement and PML and how they link together and this really man I don't like this and so I'm thinking all right instead of like the accounting side maybe the financial analysis side which is like taking the data and doing it, uh, taking a look at it afterwards. So pulling out all of your expenses and doing like forecasting. And so based on our, our historical data, what are we going to do for the future? And so like working, doing that, all of that leads up to the CFO eventually, but a heavy, heavy emphasis on accounting. And I didn't have that background too. So I was like, maybe I could learn it on a job. But then as I, you know, kept moving through my career, I'm like, mm. and like I were in the, in these roles, like I said, that had this operational sort of component there, like taking in requests from people, managing the, through those requests. This is a process to me. And then communicating it back out, even to an extent doing budget reconciliation meetings. That's a process. What do we do at the end of every month? Who do we meet with? What do we cover? How do we like make that? repeatable and scalable so that's a like the finance type did i answer your question yeah yeah, yeah. nope nope you did you, you did okay so so as you so it sounds like you sort of were like perfectly 
you know, like your personality, the things that you liked really kind of aligned to fill in this vacuum space of like revenue operations. So with everything you just told me, my assumption is they were like, Asia can do this. And then you started yeah, right. it's like, throwing stuff at yeah. you. You got to be careful with that too, because people will say, oh, you can do this here. You do it. Yes, I'll do it. Cause I want to help people. And then you get overwhelmed and burnt out and frankly like not one person can do it all right so it's like that's a challenge operations people are very capable and they also want typically the average operations person is very capable they're very resourceful they're very quick they think quickly on their feet they're adaptable but they also want to help people so that can be a very tricky balance when you have when you go into an organization that again doesn't culturally understand up operations and you just toss all this system administration stuff on you and then you're doing it and then you're like man what are all these other gaps i see and how can i fix it but you're stuck in the salesforce trenches because you've inherited a mess and then people like want to build on driven by the sales like sales people or is that just driven by the organization oh absolutely 100 percent it's the organizational the, the leadership because here's what happens and this has my been my experience Sales leaders and other go-to-market leaders, really anyone who has the strongest personality there in the leadership team gets these requests from their their people, right? So let's just use sales as an example. I'm not picking on sales. I love my salespeople, right? They're great. But you get one rep who is, maybe they're a high performer, right? They close deals consistently, and the, but they have complaints about Salesforce or the system or whatever. And they say, hey, I really need this new field. I need this new field. I'm like, guess what? We can't just do that. Here's why. Okay. Then they'll go to their boss. And then they'll sort of like, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the most oil thing. And then the leader, the VP comes back and says, you need to do, you need to, you have to do this. Even though as an operations person who has, you would think that leaders think holistically like this, but maybe like because they're in a, in a functional area, they don't. Um, having a picture of the entire process and then the systems and then the people, you know, if you do this one thing, that it's going to affect people upstream and downstream. And those effects may be like minor annoyances or they could be like, shut the system down. Yeah. But and because- if you're talking about a big company, those little, little changes can exactly. be- Exactly. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so you get into the situation where I had like, there is a debate on LinkedIn about this, particularly, particularly is because I said, you get into situations where you have the leadership says, no, you have to go build this, just go build it. And that's why you have really poorly designed Salesforce systems. That's part of it. And the other part of it is people who don't have the proper training from a, like a process perspective build something that they think is okay and then it actually doesn't support the business process. Do you, do you feel like Salesforce maybe contributes to some of this in the sense that they don't they don't want to dictate like best practices? You know, I think it's a little bit of that. I think they should do a better job. I think companies in general, any company, you should put out best practices on how to use your tool. I did a poll on LinkedIn. There were actually three polls in the same couple of days. Which tool do you prefer if you're in operations, Salesforce or HubSpot? So, uh, RevOps professionals, Ops professionals choose Salesforce every time because it's 
the capability, the CRM function is just not there in HubSpot. I, and again, I don't, um, I like HubSpot, but if I'm an admin, because I've worked with Salesforce for so many years, and because I also like understand how to distill down a process, like what the end user wants, I know inherently Salesforce is most likely going to support that. Now, I am not like a proponent of picking a tool first, then doing the process. Like that's kind of backwards to me, but this is probably one of those exceptions where I'd say, yes, Salesforce all the way. I'm a Salesforce evangelist. We're not even a Salesforce customer and we don't use Salesforce at RevGenius, but I still prefer it. Um, yeah. So what's funny is you see that the data says, okay, operations people clearly prefer Salesforce and we have our reasons for that. And then you go into the comments though, and you would think it's otherwise because there are like loud voices or like, oh man, Salesforce sucks and this and that, and you can't do this and you can't do that. And then you look at some of the people who are commenting and they're sales people or they're end users. So that tells me a couple of things. It tells me one, that da- the data doesn't buy and data is important, of course, because we're what are we're trying to understand what operations people want or think right and is that outliers or people who have loud voices or who are very like loud can skew the perception because if you were just to just look at those comments you would think yeah people prefer the other tool i don't know what it's called but there's some bi- there's a specific type of bias where or there's a specific type of where there's a word for this where i say one thing not hypocrisy is not the word. It's when I when I say when I say one thing, but then the data shows something else. So I say, hey, we really prefer this. But then if you watch the behavior, I'm doing the opposite. I'm my actions continue to oppose my 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 yeah. word, what I say. Yeah, I don't know what the word is either. I, I it's a specific exactly. type of word. It's a specific word. I wish I could remember it. And it's on every single one of these polls. Like I have a LinkedIn post on it. I had a poll. I did a poll myself. Jared did a poll, and somebody else did a poll. Which do you prefer? Salesforce won every time. Yet you would look at the comments and think, dang, out of a lot of people too, I think Jared's had like a 900 people. The other person had somewhere between 500 and, and such people. I had like almost 500 people in mind. That's a pretty big sample size. That is. I, I mean, I think the question is like, okay, if you hate it, what what's the, alter- what's the alternative, right? Yes. Okay. So that (laughs) the alternative is hiring an operations function to properly design your systems so that they support the processes and the teams rather than just picking something. No good. Good insight. Good insight. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Because whether you start okay, so say you are lucky, you're an operations person, and you're on in on ground zero because this like almost never happens. And you get to choose your tech stack, which also almost never happens. I mean, I got into RevGenius early and the tech stack was still already configured. So what you do, and I actually am writing a framework for this, how to choose these tools to support your processes and not the other way around. Like the very, 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 very first thing you have to do before you do anything is map out your like your buyer's journey, your customer journey. If you don't have that, that's where you have to start. Get yourself. You can start on a piece of paper and literally draw it out, then put it into Lucidchart or whatever tool that you use to do your process mapping so that you can see, all right, here's how the, here's on the front end, this is what the customer is going through. This is their path. Now, 
On top of that are the business processes that support the journey. So like thinking about it, I guess like a house, you know, you build your foundation first and then you start to put up the walls, then you put in the floor, then you paint, then you add pictures. The pictures I like to think of as like data and reporting and dashboards, that should be the very last thing you do. You shouldn't have like the CEO will come to me and say, hey, tell me what this, tell me, tell me what's going on in the business. And I'm like, well, I can't. You know why? Because finance and marketing don't even agree on what the definition of an SQL is. So, so let's let's talk about the house, because I think this is really good imagery. That's kind of how I think. And you said, hey, the dashboards, dashboards, reporting, that's all pictures, right? That's the thing that should move in. So we move in last, which I think is fascinating because that's the framework in which pretty much every person derives their meaning of, of Salesforce, meaning salespeople are going to look at the reports and that's how they're going to decide what they need. And you're saying, Hey, that should be the, that should be the back end. That should be the, yeah. opposite. you're looking at the wrong thing. Yeah. It's like flopped. Yeah. And like the reason, the reason is why is because if you don't design, if you don't document your process first and then build your system around the process, you won't, you could build something. You won't even have data to report on. And that happened in an organization I was in. He says, tell me how to track this. I said, guess what? We can't. We're not even getting that data in. But before that, what is, what is even this, this process? Like maybe free trials, for example. Where do the free trials go? How do they get created? Who follows up with them? How do you track lead source so that you can track conversions on those? What systems are they in? None of that had been defined. So when you ask me, tell me what's going on with these, we haven't even thought about the process. We are not even capturing the data. I can't give you a report. But if you want to start with the report first, you can't because you don't have data. Do you see? Now, would you encourage somebody to go through the, like before they build out Salesforce, like walk me through like the process of how you, you would think about this. Would you think about your metrics that you need and work backwards? Or would you just think about like, like just run me through like what's what's the appropriate way to think about if you're starting from scratch, what's the mental exercise you would take somebody through to get the right result? Yeah. Okay. So say you're starting from scratch and you have a don't have a CRM yet. Uh, tool agnostic, this should be done. So you have your customer journey, you map that out. Person hits the website, they sign up for a free trial, they do this XYZ all the way to customer, right? They go through your onboarding implementation, whatever, for whatever your business is. Then start thinking about you. what I do as an exorcist, I literally take a Google sheet and I write the department down and write the processes, the business processes in that department um, across the go-to-market. And it's not going to be exhaustive, but you got to cover the major ones like lead scoring lead routing, outbound prospecting workflow, right? Sales pipeline management, customer onboarding, renewal. Let's just say those. So once you have those groupings of of your business processes, then you need to map those out. And then you need to understand which teams are in which process and where the handoffs are. So now that you're thinking about that, then think about your tool. Okay, so I have a lead scoring process. We we decide that we want to do lead scoring and we want to do M- MQLs. We need to have lead source be tracked. We need to have marketing be able to nurture people who are not ready to move to sales. 
They should go into a nurture sequence based on persona. So we need to be able to segment our, our database easily. What tool will do that for us? And in what price range, like in our budget, within our budget? Then you think about the second piece, which in, in the sales part. Okay, lead in the, the handoff from marketing to sales. So when a sales rep gets a lead from marketing, it's like a very classic one, inbound lead routing. Okay, what needs to happen there? Who are we are we using a territory model or not? Are we round robining? Do we have SDRs? Do we have full cycle reps? Okay, we we route the lead to the correct person. Then what happens after that? They follow up with the person. They qualify the person. Are we using a qualification framework? If so, which methodology? Which one? Are we using medic or not? How do we track that people are using that framework? Then what happens after that? What happens after they're qualified? Okay, do we want to say that the meeting set is the SQL or whatever? Yes. Then they go into the pipeline. And then what happens there? Okay, we need to make sure that they move through the stages that we set. What are the stages? What are the exit criteria? Right, that to move from, to move from like negotiate, whatever your state sales stages are. So you have to think about it like in these steps before you put anything in the tool. Do you find, I mean, it's a little bit like building software, right? I mean, yes, gotta, it is. Absolutely. Be... It is absolutely. I'm just going to walk over to my power cord. Oh, about, are, we're, about, we're, are we going to see a Kanban board? So we're looking at? You got a oh, poster? I don't have you show me some show. I, right. I mean, I could show, definitely. So there is this whole idea around revenue operations teams, sales operations teams operating a little bit more like product teams because your systems or tools or your revenue is the product. And what are you going to do to get that, you know, a good product? So, yeah, I have, um, I use project management tools and I have roadmaps and I build out roadmaps. I haven't gotten to that, to that exercise for RevGenius yet because it's kind of been like we're planning for a conference right now and that's taken up a lot of our time. But previously... I go through a road mapping exercise and it seems like it's a lot of work, but it helps you, number one, plan. Number two, it shows people what you're doing. So you can say, here are the things I'm doing. It shows how things are connected to each other. So the way that I set up a roadmap is I, first, that catalog of processes is important. In the marketing side, I have lead inbound lead routing. I have campaign operations. I have segmentation, I have nurture sequences, I have ABM, if that's something that we're doing, all of those things in the marketing side. Excuse me. And then I have sales and then I have customer success or post-sale and all the processes there. So then I sit down and I'm like, all right, given these processes that make up our go-to-market organization, what is working and wasn't what isn't working? And I look at that from two perspectives. One are the questions and requests I get from the end users. So I set up a form, a very simple form. When someone has an issue, fill out the form, then the form comes in. Then I can work through a, a queue. Okay. Feature, so they're the essentially like feature requests. Request. Okay. Yeah. So you, you set up a form. So it's like, hey, if you want something done, submit the form. And then you're kind of queuing, you're queuing this stuff up. And then prior, just like software, just like you would a software development roadmap. Yeah, yep. exactly. So you take that and then from a system perspective of what I see and where things could be better. Like 
maybe we don't have a sales engagement platform yet. We don't have outreach. We don't have sales loft. And I noticed that reps are coming to me with like, how can I automate my my follow like following up with people or I can't track my activity very well or whatever what have you so then maybe I start to think about ways to make that better improve that process I look at the process I look at what is currently built in the system and then I'm like okay what tools are out there can I build something in Salesforce or whatever the CRM is can I build something there or do we need another tool if we need another tool how critical is it that we bring on that tool and then do sort of a, a cost-benefit analysis if it's the benefit is higher than the cost and that's something that goes on the roadmap. Do, do you see a lot of people of tool. buying tools where you feel like Salesforce could do the job? Honestly, mm, I think there are... T- mm, probably. Probably. Salesforce is sophisticated and flexible enough that you could build a lot in there. Now, I will say that there are use cases where it is probably a a very, a little more than technical, a little more complex if you're not, if you don't have a developer background. Operations people can get by with a lot. Like we can do a lot. I can build a lot in Salesforce using the native automation there. There are some things that you need a tool to do if you don't know how to write Apex code. One of those things is like, there's no native lead routing in Salesforce. So yeah, that's good. Leads, you use something like lean data? Yeah, I love lean data. How did you know I was going to plug them <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I, but I do love them. Love They're an amazing, amazing tool, amazing capabilities. They've added so many like useful things over the years, I've been like a three-time user of them. It's self-implemented at the last company I was at. Like I fully support Lean Data. But yes, you if you don't know Apex, you either hire a developer, which is very expensive, or you look on the market for a tool that fits that fits the process that you that you are trying to improve, and then bring the tool on. So that's one one of the things I think you can do a lot in Salesforce. Okay, here's a, here's another example, and it's one that we I've worked with at another company. You can do customer onboarding in Salesforce. You can build your entire customer onboarding process within Salesforce. You don't have to use another tool. Like I mean, you could use Insight or Turn Zero or any of those, but they'll. Uh, I I worked with this with a CEO who had a very hard time understanding the application inside Salesforce of of the customer onboarding process. And I propose to build that out using cases because you can customize the case type and you can add your custom fields. You can build automation in there. And the post-sale team and the sales team are both in Salesforce. So instead of going outside to like a Google Sheet or a Google Doc for the customer success manager to start managing their process, they can live right in the system that they're already working in because your account management is in Salesforce. But see, that's a, an example of a process that you can build into Salesforce. You don't need to go buy a tool for. Yeah, no, I, I well, you definitely see, I mean, I think, I think it's easy for the departments, the night. So if you're in customer success and they bring you Gainsight, you're going to think it's inevitably built specifically for you. Right. So that's, that's kind of the thing that's going to catch you. 
I, I think I think that makes sense. I think too an important consideration is how else is the tool like how is a data from the tool going to be used across other organizations? Like Gainsight, the sales rep's not gonna log into Gainsight. So how does I mean it, there is a Salesforce Gainsight integration, but if there wasn't and the customer success person or the leader of customer success is saying we need a tool for this team. We need to we need a tool to manage this onboarding process or what what have you, and it's like okay, well actually let's think about who else is involved in the onboarding process. What are the outcomes of the onboarding process? It's not just like go pick a tool that's for customer success. It's it's really thinking about that from a holistic point of view. Where are the where how is everything connected, and then how is this all supporting the buyer's journey at the the base of everything. So we're getting kind of we're getting kind of on the back end of our time here. So I want to ask you. Yeah. One, I want to ask you what I would consider the most important question. What's the thing yeah. that you're most passionate about? Is it sales in, ops? In, in oh, life. you lit up something. Anything. In, it could be anything. It could be your in kid. Life? Oh it could be, my gosh, it could be no. your kid. It could be Salesforce. <laughs> could be world hunger. I do like Salesforce. I I have a couple. Of, okay, what am I most 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 passionate about is inspiring people. Inspiring people, and that can be that could look different in a lot of different ways. So I grew up a musician, playing guitar and singing, and I was in band. When I was in college, I did open mics like three times a week, and uh, and the and the and the reason and some people would ask me like, would you ever record and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, because there's something different about live music. And when you play for people in a, in a smaller setting, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to playing like 50 people on an open mic, it, it, but it's like this, not a concert, not a concert hall. It, there, There's, I don't, I feel like there's something more impactful about that medium of delivering music to people. People will come up, up to me afterwards and say, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Like this and that, not just like from a skill perspective, but you can tell they're like, mm. I don't know. Well, I think I that's an interesting insight it. is like as a musician, you want to deliver, you're, you're, you're in a lot of cases you're creating to please, right? You want to create something that people want yeah. to listen. And I was yeah. really waiting for you to drop, like you've been on the voice and maybe it was the lighting, but I thought, no. I felt like we were on one of the... <laughs> Yeah, like all of a sudden they were going to be like, here's Asia. And she used to be a revenue operations person. And she's <laughs> just had a baby no. and got let off of COVID. And, and, uh, right. Yeah. Uh, no. So I, I'm inspiring people. Music is one of the ways for that. And then as in, in the workforce and as being a revenue operations, and really I think of myself as just operations leader is em- the empowering people and also empowering our discipline because I don't think enough there's enough discourse around things that would really drive revenue operations and sales operations forward as like as a career. It sounds like a, a, you need to write a book. When I grow up, I want to be in revenue ops. Oh yeah, like, there's like a book. I think there's a book. When I grow up, I want to be in sales. But you, maybe yeah, when yeah, I grow up, yeah, I want to yeah. be in revenue ops. It, yeah. Look, it's emerging. People don't know it exists. It's a big problem. Mm-hmm. Every organization has an issue with it. We, and we, I have very strong opinions on it, based on like my experiences, of course. But 
yeah, I think that that not enough companies or organizations or people or talks or whatever information content out there is it's not doing us a service doing us a disservice because the focus needs to be on the process and building the foundation and the infrastructure because we're there to to help the revenue teams bring in more revenue right we're not directly revenue generating i would not want a sales job i don't want to be an ae i don't want that pressure but what i want to do is enable them to do their jobs in the most effective way that they can. So they don't have to worry about, they shouldn't worry about how a system is designed or they shouldn't be like, I need this new field because it's going to make my job easier. We have to think about that. That's our job. That's our job to look at the entire spectrum and say, all right, yeah. Or like down, 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 downstream, way downstream in support. And a client has had a hundred support tickets and their CSM, you can look at their meetings. They haven't had a lot of meetings with this person. That's at, they're at risk of churning, right? So how can we look at that process? What can we do there? And then work with the CS leaders. Like, again, I don't want to be responsible directly for renewals. I don't want to close the renewals, but I want to help wanna them. Help, yeah. Well, I think, right? that's a, I think that's a big takeaway here um, is like, hey, most operations people really, ha- I, I agree with that. They really want to help, right? Yes. They want to help. They want to be helpful. Yeah, um, talk to any of them. They will tell you the same thing. Yeah, we are, no. we that's what we want to do. So help yeah. us help you. Help us help <laughs> you. That's a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. So we got. It a, is. We got a, well, I feel like we got a, a CD and a t-shirt or a book out of this. We got a book and a t-shirt. Yeah, out. yeah. Um, I'll get started on writing. You'll be the first one with a copy. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. As always. Uh, if you want more information on the podcast, go to monsterconnect.com forward slash podcast. Uh, you can get last season's, uh, last year's episodes. You can get all the new episodes for this year. And as always, remember, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can. Until next time. Until next time.